0: Well, hello, everybody, wherever you are, whether you're here in our studio audience or in North Dallas or somewhere else around the world. Really, really glad you're here. And these days, it's not bad to hear some good news, right? So you want to hear some good news? Uh, this is really cool. So I, I went to a restaurant, um, socially distant, I promise, and on, on this week, and I ran into a Chase Oker, who's a really cool guy, Ray Diaz, and he uh, directs a ministry that we support through our global fund. Uh, some of their stuff and it's called orphan outreach and uh, we support uh, some of the things they do in, in the country of Honduras And uh, and one of those things is a fostering a- initiative uh, That they it's a partnership with the government anyway, it's a really cool thing and so uh, Saw him and he said hey, it's, it's just really cool because it just happened. This happened yesterday And here's what happened. This is good news for this little guy So uh, a few weeks ago uh, the police uh, Were called they found they found a baby who was in a dumpster abandoned in a dumpster had been there uh was probably about 3 4 days old and uh was in tough shape uh was in the hospital for a few weeks but this Monday um little baby got matched with a family and he had a tough uh, tough first few weeks but this little baby's going to do awesome in life it's a great family and um and I say that because uh, you're part of the story uh, as you support their work and uh, through your generosity. So way to go, because you made a, a, a potentially a bad news story become a really great news story. So thank you. Um, another piece of good news, a little less dramatic, is that we're continuing our series called The Secret Sauce, uh, which is about relationships. And that is good news because... We're looking each week in this series at some of the key components that make up the kind of relationships that God wants us to have and that we want to have too. And today what we're talking about is how to be there for somebody when being there is hard. As people go through all kinds of things and we need people in our corner, how to be there, how to show up. And even when I say that, how to be there, it sounds a little lame just being there. Uh, it's kind of like uh when i uh, when i was a kid i tried this too late i decided to to do baseball i i had done ho- i was you know a hockey player but i thought hey baseball looks easy i'll do that too and so i you know signed up for this baseball team i don't even think i made it through the whole season and i it wasn't as easy as i thought hitting the ball and so i struck out a lot and i didn't give the crowd of people who were cheering for our team much to work with in terms of positive things to yell, positive things to say. So the best it got for me was when, uh, before I struck out, um, when I would just sit there or stand there and watch a pitch go by and hoping it was a ball. And, uh, and if it was a ball, uh, you may know what the crowd shouted out. You, if you're in the studio audience or home, just shout it out. What would they say? Good eye. That's right. Good eye. That's the best it ever got from me was good eye, which is nice, but I'll, I'll, it was so dejecting. All You know, just hearing good eye, because it's not like you're a hero for, man, you're really good at standing there doing nothing while the ball goes and it happens to be a ball and you got lucky. Good eye. You know, you're really good at just standing there doing nothing. And so it just was always, you know, you walk back to the dugout and stuff and being there can feel like. Somebody saying, good eye, way to be there, way to show up. I'm talking about when somebody's going through tragedy, when somebody's going through loss, when somebody's going through sickness, when somebody's overwhelmed. Sometimes it just it's hard to know what to do. And I know for me as a pastor, there's even some extra pressure, I feel, because I don't want to just show up. I want to fix it and or say the perfect thing. Like not say something stupid. I want to say the perfect thing that just makes everything feel better. Pray the perfect prayer that just kind of makes it changes the the whole thing, you know, and 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 just being there can feel a little bit lame. But what we're going to see today is it's not. And it's actually a really powerful thing when you and I have people in our lives who are there for us when we need people and how to really be those. So we're going to talk about how to find those people how to cultivate those relationships, but also how to be those people, how to be there, how to show up because it's awkward sometimes. What do I do? What do I say? Do I go? Do I not go? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I say the wrong thing? I don't know. You know, and so we're going to we're going to look at that because in life is hard. And right now, it'd be helpful to think about somebody that maybe you've even had the thought, you know, I should reach out to them. Because there's a lot of people really overwhelmed right now. It's overwhelming for all of us. Um, I mean, life events like loss and grief and sickness and job loss and financial prob- problems or um, anxiety, depression. Uh, right now, parents and teachers who are trying to figure out how to do school at home or in the classroom and all this kind of, I mean, it's overwhelming. There's just a lot of overwhelmed people. And what? how can we be there for each other in a new way? And so you may want to just have somebody in your mind as we look at the New Testament uh, to learn how to be there, and um, and we're going to do that by looking at the Apostle Paul, who was the key leader in the New Testament church. He started a lot of churches. He uh, wrote much of the New Testament, including the book that we're going to be looking at today, Second Timothy, um, that he writes to his protege, uh, one of the like his like Timothy was the person he passes the baton of ministry to but he also super close friend and Paul is writing to him at the end of his life second Timothy was the last book Paul wrote uh and he knew it would be the last book he wrote because he was in a Roman dungeon he was in a very serious bad situation um in a Roman dungeon um awaiting his trial before the Caesar Nero and he knew that was not going to end well And that he would be executed. And sure enough, that's what happened. He was beheaded uh, uh, eventually. And so he's in this dungeon. Picture rats everywhere, rotten food, uh, dark, damp, terrible uh, situation to be in. Uh, But he could have people. He could have visitors. And so we're going to see how he reaches out to Timothy for that. But, But just to give you an idea of what was going on. Uh, it's really important before we jump into the passage, because this was not a good time to be in prison for being a Christian. And that's that was his crime, being a Christian, because you may have heard about Nero in history or something. Uh, Nero, the one that some people said there was a rumor that went around at that time, 2000 years ago, that when Rome, there's a big fire in Rome and burned much of the city and a lot, lots of bad things happened there. And the rumor was that Nero was in his palace overlooking the fires, thinking they look so beautiful and playing the violin uh, while he watched Rome burn. We don't know if that happened or not, but we do know the rumor was out there. Uh, the rumor was out there also that he uh, started the fire himself in order to expand some of his palaces uh, because he ended up doing that. So people were really mad. People were upset. So in order to take the pressure off of him, he spread a rumor of his own that Christians started the fire. Because the Roman emperors hated Christians because Christians didn't worship the emperor. They just worshiped God. And so he spreads this rumor and starts this massive persecution against Christians. It's brutal. In fact, um, there's a historian at the time named Tacitus who was not a Christian. Um, and he writes about that, uh, what Nero did. Ergo abolindo rumori. It's in Latin, which I know is not that helpful. So let me just... Uh, uh, instead of, of trying to do the Latin, um, I'll just tell you what he said, okay, what Tacitus said. Because what, what Nero started doing to the Christians wasn't just arresting them and killing them. Uh, it was really overly cruel. Um, for example, uh, he would uh, kill Christians for sport in the Colosseum. Tacitus writes about that, that um, they would sow these uh, dead animal carcasses um, Around them where the Christians could still move and then they would release these wild dogs that had been starved for a long time and they would come and it was not good. Um, Nero had these garden parties and he would put uh, pitch uh, over people, uh, Christians uh, who were still alive and light them on fire to light the garden party, thinking that was really somehow a great thing to do. And Tacitus writes it, hey, even Romans who didn't like Christians either, who didn't understand what was going on. We're like, hey, this is a little bit much, this is a little bit overboard, but that's what was going on. And now Nero, the Caesar, has Paul right in the middle of all that, the key leader of the New Testament church, in his dungeon, in his prison, and it's a really bad space to be. And so from that, Paul writes to Timothy, and here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4.9, to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Uh, he's about a thousand miles away, Timothy is, in Ephesus. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. Now, Paul always traveled with a team uh, everywhere he went. And so he's used to having this team of people. And he writes, he writes about some other people that he sent different places that, that, that the team has dwindled, dwindled down to two because he sent people all these different on these different ministry assignments. And then it was Demas and Luke. But Demas bails on him, says so because he loved this world, meaning Uh, He he just didn't love God's kingdom enough. He was, you know, he probably valued his life because it was dangerous to be around Paul. And he splits and goes to presumably his home in Thessalonica. So he leaves the team and only Luke is with me, he says, which if you're Luke, you're like, really? You know, do you have to put only (laughs) like, but at least Luke is with me. He's awesome. Um, And I don't think that's a slam on Luke. I don't think he's saying, you know, Timothy, Luke's pretty lame. Uh, I need somebody else. I just, he just felt alone, and especially because Timothy is, like, tighter than tight. And so he says, Timothy, man, I, I need you to be here because he's feeling alone. And I'm sure there have been times in your life you felt that way. And you certainly, we certainly feel it when life all of a sudden starts going really badly. We can kind of get away with being fairly isolated uh, in our life not having a lot of close connection when things are going well. But when things start not going so well, we really realize how alone we are. And then you can relate to Paul. And Paul was exactly there. And it's a sad story so far, but it actually gets sadder. He says in verse 16, And my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. We talked about baseball picture a kid playing baseball looking for somebody in the stands who gives a rip Looking for parents or family or something and nobody's there, but multiply that times a hundred That's how he felt nobody stood up for him and what he's talking about at his first defense Is as a roman citizen not everybody in rome most people were not roman citizens, but paul was and that meant that Uh, you had this right to a first trial and a second trial. It's like we do. We have a grand jury and you go through that to see, Hey, does, you know, should this go on to a real trial or not? That's, so this is like the grand jury trial. And the way they would do that is you would stand before the judge. Sometimes as a citizen, it'd be Caesar himself that you'd stand before and different people would come and they would speak on your behalf. So they would say, Hey, you know, Paul's not a bad guy. Like this, people are saying like, he's a really good guy and he's a good citizen. And we need you know, and, and they would speak for you. That was the whole thing, like to have people to speak on your behalf. And so Paul is there waiting for that to happen because there were Christians in Rome and there were presumably people that were supposed to come because he said deserted me and they didn't show up. Like nobody came. Everybody that was supposed to come did not come. And you could tell it stings. It hurts. Was it An easy thing to do, though, we're talking about being there when being there is hard. Well, you know, if you were a Christian then in Rome and you were going to go and stand up for Paul and stand by his side and speak for him, you're basically telling Nero, hey, I'm a Christian. If you want to light me up for the garden party tonight, not tonight, no, here I am. I mean, it would have been risky. But it's obvious when you read the passage that Paul would have done that for them, but they didn't do it for him. And he says, may it not be held against them. Uh, I think he understands. And he's, you know, forgiving and that kind of thing. He goes on. But the Lord stood by at my side and gave me strength. Everybody else abandoned me, but not the Lord, because the Lord doesn't do that. So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So he's like, hey, the Lord was with me and he did strengthen me. And I even got to share about Jesus in the grand jury and all these people got to hear about Jesus. And so it's not all bad. But in two verses later, here's what he's going to say. As good as it is to have the Lord at our side, and I don't know how you would possibly go through anything bad without the Lord by your side. And we don't have to. We'll talk about that later. But even then, with the Lord by our side, uh, he still feels a certain amount of aloneness because he doesn't have people with him. And so, therefore, a couple verses later, he says to Timothy, do your best, Timothy, to get here before winter. A thousand mile journey Back then, was quite an ord- it, it took weeks uh, to, to pull off. And so he says, man, leave, leave now. Try to get here before winter. When he starts the book, he says, recalling your tears when they left the last time, uh, there were tears. He said, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. He wants to see his friend. 4-9, do your best to come to me quickly. Work quickly means right now. ASAP. Come. And we already read. Do your best to get here before winter. He's saying, Timothy, I need you. This is this is the lowest time in my life. I need you here. And he knew, despite the trouble, despite the risk, he knew that Timothy would come. And that's why he says in 413, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Notice what he says when you come. He didn't say if you come because he knew that Timothy was a when you come kind of friend, not a if you come kind of friend. And I don't know if you have friends like that that are when you come kind of friends, but those are the most valuable kind of friends. Those who will just be there and you know it. Um, I've mentioned over the last uh, few weeks how um, some of you have perked up on that and are praying for my brother, which I really appreciate because I've mentioned that he's sick. And I have one brother, one sibling, and he's he's not just sick; he he has cancer, and it's uh, not great, not good. Uh, he's been unresponsive for two months now. And my sister-in-law Becky is uh, incredible, and she's uh, sp- she's just devoting all of her effort, all of her attention, all of her focus on caring for my brother. Uh, which means friends, I mean, we're all concerned about Becky too, not just my brother, but Becky, and so her friends are concerned about Steve, my brother concerned about her, and uh, she's so focused, she's not, you know, it's hard to communicate with everybody, so uh, one of her friends from San Antonio was just so concerned about her, couldn't get in touch with her, couldn't, you know, just didn't know what to do, and so she decided last week, That she would, uh, because of COVID, she didn't want to fly and then go over there. So she drove from San Antonio to Birmingham, Alabama, where my sister-in-law and my brother are, and just showed up at the house unannounced and just knocked on the door and said, I'm here. She brought food and stuff for the family, but I'm here. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to see me if you don't want to. If you just need to keep doing what you're doing, I get it. I just want you to know I'm here. And, uh, and they were able to connect, and it was life-giving for her. But that's what we're talking about. A, 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 not a if-you-come kind of friend, but a when-you-come kind of friend. And, of course, that's a powerful thing to be. It's what uh, Solomon talks about in Proverbs. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. That, that it's easy to be somebody's friends when it's easy, but when it's hard is when you know who your friends really are, right? Because they love not just in the good times, they love at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. And I think it's a great question to ask is, man, do I have people in my life like that? And I don't know, maybe you say, maybe you do, I don't know. They think, well, how do I develop that? How do I get that? And, and let me encourage you that if you're not in a tragic situation right now, if you're, this is the time to do that. To take steps to develop those kind of connections and those kind of relationships and in in a great way to do that around here is groups is to get in a group Uh, our church is built around groups Um, and that's true wherever you are around the world right now we have now we're you know doing online groups and virtual groups and uh, in-person groups and hybrid groups we're about to start all these groups here in in just a couple weeks and jump into one don't live an isolated life Because whenever I hear here at Chase Oaks, I hear about somebody who's gone through going through something really difficult, some tragedy, some situation they've lost or something. My first question is always, are they in a group? And if I hear back, yes, they're in a group, I'm like, oh, thank the Lord they're in a group because I know how a Chase Oaks group is going to rally around that person or around that family. Doesn't. Make it all go away, doesn't? It? But it's just so much better. I know they're going to be cared for by that group. But when I hear, uh, no, they're not in a group, it's just like I, I I usually literally put do this audible thing where I go, oh, oh no, because I know it could have been so different. Now as a church, we're going to do everything we can, you know, we're going to try to connect with them and try to help them and all that. We're not going to leap just say, oh well, they're not in a group, forget them, but also know how much better it'd be if they were in a group. And so let me encourage you to get into a group. And, and then you think, well, okay, what about on the other side? How can I be there for people? The best way to find, to cultivate those kind of relationships, people who are there for you, is to be there for them, is to be there for other people. And, and yet, how do we do that? Like, what do we do? We're talking about the power of showing up, the power of being there. But, I mean, really, what do you do? And we get a big clue. In another passage in Paul's life where he's earlier in his life where he's going through a really difficult time. In fact, he's so down. He's so depressed. He says he despairs even of life, uh, meaning like, I just don't even want to live anymore. And God pulls him out of that. And here's how. He says, for when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. That's such a cool phrase to me. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. So he had no rest anywhere. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. God strengthened him. How? By the coming of Titus. So what did Titus do? He came. That's all he did. And it changes everything for Paul. It didn't change his circumstances. It's not like Titus came and made the problem go away. He couldn't make the problem go away. But what Titus did do is he showed up and he came and that strengthening presence for Paul made all the difference to be able to get through what he had to go through because he wasn't alone and he had strength from a trusted friend to say, you know what? I can do this. And all Titus did. I'm sure he said something. I'm sure he did a few. But all he did, really, the power of what he did is show up I, through this message, preparing it, started thinking about different times in, in my life and for Christine, and me and our family, uh, different things that had happened when certain people just showed up and how powerful that was. One of those stories is is my oldest son, Colin, um, when he was in, I think he was in third grade, uh, went to a church camp and, uh, and at church camp, uh, he and his buddies during free time uh, were out on this basketball court, this concrete slab with these basketball goals and this little group of geniuses thought this was a great idea to take a picnic table uh, close by pull it under pull it underneath the uh, the rim the basketball goal so they could you know it has like a like a seat and then the table and so man, if we jump on the seat and then the table i bet we could dunk even though they're in third grade or and so uh, again Genius idea, right? You're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So Colin was the first one to do it. And, and he sure enough, he jumps on the thing, you know, jumps on the seat, jumps on the table to do the dunk. What they didn't think about was the landing. So he sort of does this dive uh, head first onto the concrete. And which means he goes to the hospital and I get a call from the uh, from this hospital in East Texas. That says uh, your son um, is uh, has a skull fracture. Uh, he has bleeding and swelling in the brain. Uh, we can't treat that here. Uh, so we're about to put him on a care flight to go to Children's Hospital in Dallas. He should be there in an hour and a half. Uh, Christie was outside teaching swim lessons Went and got her. We. Go down to Children's Hospital. We had no idea the extent. They didn't. They wouldn't tell me. They said we don't know. We don't, You know how bad is it? Is he going to make it? Is he? Gonna? We had no idea. So we drive down to Children's Hospital, and then we have to wait for the uh, for the helicopter, and it was the longest hour and a half of our lives. Right, just waiting, waiting, not knowing what's going to happen. And and in the middle of that, while we're there waiting, feeling so alone and so scared. Um, a couple came who were Chase Okers, Mike and Sharon Cornwall. Uh, Mike and Sharon are still in our church. They go to our Richardson campus. They are, uh, for many years, were elders here, which means board of directors. Uh, if you think about it that way, uh, the Bible adds a bunch of spiritual stuff on top of that. But think of it, if you don't know what, elders kind of sounds weird, I know, but it's a thing, Bible thing. And like a board of directors. And so the really godly, wonderful people. They're the kind of people who say when they pray, like, hey, I'll pray for you. It's not just like a way to say goodbye. They're really going to pray. And, and, and man, when they came, when they showed up, I, I still remember. I mean, just you see them, and it's like, you know what? We're going to make it. it it's the strengthening. Like how God comforts us through the coming of people like Titus or people like the Cornwalls. And and they didn't fix Colin uh, they didn't fix the situation they couldn't but what they could do they did do they showed up and that changed everything for us in, internally right inside and and yes Colin did recover it took months to recover but he did and we had a lot of chase Oakers who showed up in the midst of that and have showed up for us over the years and some of you know who you are and we really love you and thank you for that but that's what we're talking about so let me make this really, really practical as you think about people in your life. And, and let me encourage you to think of somebody, because there's plenty of people to go around right now who are overwhelmed um, in a pandemic. People who are overwhelmed with grief because of what's going on with race. People who are trying to school their kids and are in, have a job and don't know what to do. And, and people who are just going through the natural tragedies of life that happen, of sickness or the loss of a loved one and so i'm sure there's somebody in your orbit you can think about and what do you do i mean what does it mean to show up because you know what how do you do that well and and one of the things to think about is uh, often i think it's awkward because you don't know if you should like what if i'm just going to be in the way like am i really going to be one of those encouraging people to them are they going to roll their eyes when they see me like are they going to be like oh good grief now here now we got to deal with this person um or you know, am I just going to make it worse or they don't have time for me or whatever? And what I'd say to that is, is if you if you're a friend with somebody, not just an acquaintance, but but you're a friend with somebody who, uh, I mean, you know, and all that. And you, you have that inkling and, you, you know, I really should reach out to them and it could be calling them starting out or going there. I mean, now in covid season, I know it's tricky, but, you know, showing up at the hospital or doing whatever, or sometimes a little difficult right now. But you think, man, how do I reach out to them? Should I? Should I not? I don't know. I would say make the tilt to say and do it. And then be open handed. And if you find when you call or you show up or you're there that, yeah, maybe you are in the way and they've, they've got it covered. and all that's cool. Um, just back off and try again later. And, you know, don't don't. But it's it's better, I think, to move forward than just to not. And then when you do step forward, what do you mean? Like, what do you, what do you do? Because it is awkward. Like, what do I say? Like, what if I say the wrong thing? You know, what do you say to somebody who just lost a child? What do you say to somebody who is scared? What do you say to somebody who's depressed? What do you, what do you, because we all want to just say the perfect thing. And again, this is not about saying the perfect thing, about doing the perfect thing. It's about showing up. But to make it really uh, clear or really practical, here's how you show up. It's the power of presence, prayer, practical help. Three Ps, I'm kind of proud of them. So here they are. The first one, um, just being honest, is, uh, is presence, the gift of presence. We've talked about that. Just showing up is way more powerful than you think. And you know that when you think back in your life when people have showed up because you probably don't remember what they say or what they did. You just remember they showed up. And that's the power of presence. Uh, prayer. Um, prayer is not just a psychological crutch or a psychological exercise. Prayer is talking to the God who is in charge of everything who answers prayer. Prayer moves the hand of God. And when you and I pray, it matters. It changes things. And, and that's why it is so helpful to pray and to let people know you're praying or even if you're comfortable praying out loud with them and just saying, can I pray? Let's pray. And And when life is, what i found is sometimes I can't, there have been times I've been so upset or so anxious that I can't pray for myself. I just can't. And other people have come around who said, I can. And who've prayed for us or or prayed for me. It's a powerful thing to pray. I remember uh, one of these other times uh, in our life when somebody showed up was our younger son, Caleb, uh, youngest son. And when he was just a little baby just born and he had some uh, things that were not right and uh, that they were concerned about. So they were going to put him in the NICU. And we were just being told this about what was going on. And here's this little baby. And we're so, you know, just we're in shock. And I remember looking through. We were in this hospital room. I remember looking through the window. We never even talked to him. Uh, He never even came in the room. Looking through the window, and I saw another one of our elders, another one of our board members named Jim Harris at the time. And Jim was there, and I saw him through the window. We had eye contact, and he just went like this. Meaning, um, man, I'm praying. And that changed everything again for me. It gave me this strange, like, okay, we are not on our own. We've got people who are praying, and either this little guy is going to be okay or God's going to help us get through it if it's not and and it gave us strength right to just to keep going through it prayers a, a powerful thing and then practical help what does Paul say to Timothy hey come and when you come bring my cloak he's talking about his outer they wore these big thick outer jackets in the winter that were also like their blanket when they slept these big wool things and Paul had left it, and now it's coming winter, and he's in a dungeon, and there's no heat. And so he's saying, bring my, bring my cloak, and bring the, my books, and bring my stuff, because I don't want to just sit around. I want to do work. And so bring just practical help. And that's another thing to consider is just help. And sometimes it's great to ask people, hey, what can I do? But a lot of times people say, oh, no, we're okay. So you just do it. Just bring food or uh, take care of kids, or you know whatever practical stuff there is it 's hard to think about the practical stuff when you 're going through a really tough situation and you 're overwhelmed and it helps to have other people come in and just do the practical stuff so when you 're thinking about what does it mean to show up the three p s presence, prayer, and practical help and let me encourage you to take a step towards somebody i mean <laughs> Even, you know, some of you, you know, I thought about this. I didn't think about it till today. I should have thought about it earlier. But, you know, with empty nest, you know, people who are in empty nest stage to if they've got a little bit extra time to just volunteer for a family who's working and has little kids. Hey, if if I can help you with schooling, you know, let me know or whatever. Right. You just come and, and you move into that situation. But then on the other side, I know some of you right now that are listening feel very overwhelmed. And you feel like Paul did. You feel very alone. You know, it would be great to have people like that, but I don't have them. And if you're going through something and you feel that way, let me encourage you to do a couple things. One is reach out to people. But you think, well, I don't know who. Well, you can reach out to the church. Let us know and we'll do what we can. We care about you. We love you. Let us know. And the other thing that Paul, we can take for granted in Paul, but let's not is the presence of the Lord in our life. He says, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. People in our lives are important. And that's the point of this message is how to show up and how to be there. And it's one of the ways God strengthens us and helps us is through other people. So I don't want to minimize that. But also want to make it really clear that even more important than that is having the Lord at my side. It's having the Lord in my life. As I said earlier, I don't know how people go through tragedy. How people go through anxiety, how people go through depression. I don't. I don't know how they go through an overwhelmed period of life without the Lord in their life. I. I just can't even imagine. As I look back at different things in my life, how I could have possibly gone through that? Um, and I look back at my life and realize, you know, the Lord really was with me all those times, and He provides strength, He provides hope, He provides help, and helps us get through what we're going through. And if And if you don't have the Lord in your life or don't know what I'm talking about, you have to please know that he he wants to be in your life. That's why Jesus is God who came here and became human, took on humanity. He's existed forever. He's God, but took on humanity and lived among us and suffered like we suffer. And he died on the cross for sin, our sin, to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God so that God could could come into our life. And he offers that salvation we call it, which is salvation from the penalty of sin, and he offers his strengthening and transforming presence in our life as a gift. Uh, he won 't just push his way in your life; he wants us to say yes or no it 's a gift, and you just say, "Yes, Lord, I want you in my life. He is ready to come into your life, and you can do that right now, just say, "Lord." Yes, I want a relationship with you. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He rose from the dead. He wants to raise me up to new life. He, you want to be with me to transform me and comfort me and strengthen me through all that we go through? I'm in. God, please come into my life. And as important as it is to have other people, it's, it doesn't even compare to having God in our life. And let me encourage you to take that step. So let's bow together right now in prayer wherever you are and uh, pray with that in mind and with each other in mind as well. Father, do pray for people right now who want to take that step we just talked about. Lord, I pray you just help them because you've done everything to make that possible for sin to be forgiven and for you to come into our life. And so God, help them right now in their heart. Just say, yes, God, I want you in my life. I want to know you. I want to begin a relationship with you. I need you in my life. And, And that's what it means to begin a relationship with God. And the Bible says that when we take that step, he says in Hebrews, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In another place, it says in the Bible, if we deny him, he will not deny us for he is faithful, meaning he's not going anywhere. Once we ask him in our life, he is with us always and we will be with him forever. And some of you right now know him, uh, but maybe just need to lean on him more and just say, God, you know what I'm going through. And I don't want to get angry with you because you didn't make it happen. We broke the world. And so, Father, I pray that you would strengthen me, that you would redeem this in my life. God, help me get through what I'm going through. And then let me encourage you, if God has brought somebody to mind right now, just pray for them, somebody who's struggling. And just, and just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How can I show up in their life? Father, thank you that you care for us and that you will empower us to care for each other. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, normally a lot of times I disappear after I say amen and then those other two guys come on uh, if you know when you watch online and that's always great. But I'm still here and I'm here for a, a reason and that is to encourage all of us with something that was mentioned in the service earlier. And that is this next week is Unity Table Week, Unity Table Weekend, the fifth Sunday of every month. And right now in our culture, um, the spirit of our age, unfortunately, is polarization, right? And, and people pulling apart into different tribes, and and it's us versus them, and it's just growing. And I think Satan, oh, I know Satan, loves it and is working overtime not only to make that happen in our in our culture. But to make that happen in church and and to pull us apart any way it can, because people have strong opinions, right, about should we regather? Should we not regather? Is the virus big deal? Is it a little deal is, you know, election season, you know, this versus that, this person versus that person and race and and, and sort of this new civil rights era in a, in a, a resurgence. And some are like, yeah. And some are like, I don't know. And so everybody's pulling apart and all this kind of and. The spirit of God is doing something else. And what he is doing in his church is bringing people together who should not otherwise be together. Uh, It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. This uncommon unity of diverse people who move toward each other, not away from each other. And that's what God calls us to do. And the spirit of God always moves toward unity, never toward polarization, And so let's move toward unity, toward understanding. And one way to do that, especially on the issues of race, is to is the unity table. And the idea there is to get together. If it's a Zoom meeting, that's great uh, right now or get together in person and figure out how to do that in a good way if you want to. Uh, the uh, and, and just somebody who's different than you, somebody who looks different than you, somebody from a different ethnicity, and it's a way to share your story because doing so breaks down barriers, builds bridges, and you realize breaks down stereotypes. And it's an, and we all have a story to tell. And if you go on our website, you'll see the unity table thing. There's a one page guide on how to do that, like what questions to ask to get the discussion going. But I promise you, uh, it'll be. Uh, it'll be it'll be a fruitful thing. It'll be an eye opening thing if we do it. So let me encourage you to take that step um, as we move toward each other in a culture that's just being ripped apart. Uh, God wants us to do better than that. And I know we want that, too. So this is one way to do that. Um, the next one, uh, the next fifth Sunday comes around Thanksgiving. And we're we've, uh, are coming up with some cool ways to do that partner with some other churches. I think that's going to be uh, a really awesome thing. As well. So thanks for leaning into that. You can go on the website for more information. We'll see you next week as we continue our series secret sauce. Uh, Next week uh, is when we talk about I talk about how to have hard conversations that hopefully work uh, that don't just, you know, cause it to blow up, but actually work and how to do that. In the meantime, please know you are loved and we're praying for you. Hang in there. See you next week.